Colossians 2.14 tells us that uh, you who are dead in your sins, he has nailed to the cross. I mean, that is what we just sang, Calvary. Um, Happy Easter, because it goes from death to life. And that's the story that we're tracking today. It is so good to have you here this morning. I'm Pastor Doug, one of the pastors here, and want to welcome you. And uh, before we get going at God's Word, if I could just ask, on the left side of the aisles, uh, there's a friendship register there in that little uh, holder. If you could grab that, fill that out, pass it down. We just really want to know you're here. And put on there anything so we can be praying for you. Promise me we will not hassle you or harass you. Um, We just want to know you're here and pray for you. And uh, what a delight just to have a full room on a blessing of a day like Easter today. Um, It's wonderful to be together to remember what the Lord has done. By the way, Easter is not a nostalgic reminiscing time. Instead, Easter is about a deliberate remembering time. And uh, we as a church have just uh, started here a few weeks ago a series through the very well-known Old Testament book of Judges, I'm being sarcastic about that, uh, through the book of Judges. And uh, in it, in chapter 2, it, it said that that generation, the generations during the time of the Judges, that one of the things that characterized them, it said that they did not know the Lord or the work of the Lord. And then last Sunday, we were in Judges chapter 3, and we saw that beginning to be lived out, where we saw in Judges 3, verse 7, where it said, God's people forgot the Lord their God. And the word forgot does not mean that it's like, uh, who's Yahweh? Like, I don't even know who that is. It's not talking about that. It's talking about this idea that they did not take the Lord into account, It means this idea that they disregarded the Lord. They forgot the Lord. And I had said to our church family last Sunday, that's not going to happen this Sunday. We are going to deliberately remember the reality of what our Lord has done and in this who He is. Um, Deliberately remembering. It's it's a big deal. In fact, Jesus with His disciples, Mark chapter 8 after miraculously feeding thousands of people and then getting pushback from it all, kind of from the religious police of his day, the disciples are just all kind of not understanding what in the world is going on. And yet Jesus turns to his disciples in their present scene and he says, guys, that's somewhere in the Greek, he says, guys, do you not know or do you not have eyes to see and ears to hear? And he says, are you not remembering who I am and what I've done? Remembering who the Lord is matters in the present reality. Uh, Also, Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. Last year, our church, we went through the book of Revelation, and, and, and the Lord at that time is talking with God's people in the church in Sardis in their present situation, and he says to them in verse 3, remember what you received and heard, remember. The psalmist in Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. That was even in the Old Testament before the death and resurrection came about. And then the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, Timothy, if you're going to be a warrior and premier athlete for Christ, 
you must remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And that's what we're here about today. So I want to be right up front with you. Today is not about a nostalgic reminiscing. Today is about a deliberate reality remembering together that we would not forget, that we would never lose the wonder. So this Easter, where do we go in God's word to do that? Oh my, we could go to a lot of places. We could go to Judges chapter 3. And I actually had thought about doing that in Ehud, left-handed Ehud, and talk about the need for a permanent deliverer. We're not going to do that today. We will next Sunday. I had thought about going to the Gospels. I love the Gospels and going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and, and, and walking the cross-resurrection account together and reliving that. I thought about that, but uh, not this year uh, for Easter. I'd thought about Romans 5, justified in, by faith, uh, through the work of Christ, uh, but we're not going to go there. 1 Corinthians 15 is another one. I mean, an entire chapter of God's Word that is all about the resurrection and its implications. That's a beauty. Uh, maybe another time. Or Revelation chapter 1, uh, where we've been as a church. See the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ as He is today. All are amazing texts. Um, but this year, in preparing for this Easter, I want for you to know that there's been something big on my heart. Uh, as a church, we've experienced just tremendous growth over the recent years. And, and one of the things that's big on my heart is that we as a church family would be grabbing a hold of some particular texts of Scripture, that we would own them, that we would own them so that we take ourselves to them, so that we would take each other to them, and we would take others to it. Uh, passages like what we're going to be doing here in a couple weeks with the Vertical Marriage Conference. I'm going to be teaching three sessions in that. We're going to go to three words, three texts. And I want to drive some core passages of Scripture into, uh, into what marriage and relationship looks like. So what do we do today? Well, there is a text that is dear to my heart and a text that I want us to own today, Okay. And uh, if you look at the back of your bulletin or your update there, it says it on the top. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So would you take your Bibles and please open there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some in, this, in the seat backs there. You can go ahead and grab and uh, take a look. I believe it's page 976 in there. And I want to let you know, uh, if you're visiting with us, we're really big about the Bible, God's Word. You don't want to hear what I have to say. Uh, you want to hear what God's Word has to say. Right, church? Uh, I mean, that's what this is all about. And so we don't just talk around it. We don't start with it and then divert away from it. We're like in it and we love being there. And so we're going to walk through this passage because what is Easter really all about? From death to life. And we're going to go there, not in a nostalgic reminiscing manner, but we're going to go here for a deliberate, purposed remembering of a radical reality. And the text has three radical realities. How many radical realities? Okay, we're going to go there and we're going to start with the first one. And it's the bad news. And it's the bad news. And it's the bad news of the radical reality of our problem. By the way, we're talking about my problem, we're talking about your problem, and we're talking about all our problems. So I came to church to hear about my problem, yep. But know this, it gets better, okay? So hang in here. 
Lord, I just pray as we get started in your word that you would just be here among us. We would have listening ears. We would just have hearts that are ready to take in what you have to say. Not what I have to say, but what you have to say. The fact of the matter is, Lord, here on this Easter, this text gets really personal because it's talking about every one of us. So I just pray for your grace for me. I pray for your grace upon us. I pray for your presence in this place that we would just see you like we maybe have never seen you before. Because after all, it's all about you anyway. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, here we are. Let's start with my radical problem. Let me read verses one through three, Ephesians chapter two. Bible's there? Or laptops there, whatever you got. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in uh, verse 1. And you, he's writing to believers in the church in Ephesus, and you were dead. Now that's encouraging. Uh, we'll come back. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What are the first four words you tell me? One more time. And you were dead. Uh, by the way, I think we could all agree that's uh, some radical bad news, isn't it? That's not great news. Um, I don't really appreciate it being said um, because it includes me. Uh, uh, but by the way, it's actually worse than we read it. Because in the original language, there's a present active participle in this, which means it's present active, it's continuous. It's not just saying it's like you were dead, that's it. It's actually giving this idea of an ongoing, continuing realm of dead. It's not just you were dead once, it's just like you're dead in and you are reigning there, realming there, continuing there. It's this, it's your dead dead. Uh, and you were dead dead kind of idea. Now, how can living people be dead? Now, that's a great question because he is writing to people that are alive. How can living people be dead? Well, it's talking about spiritually. It's talking about they are spiritually dead. Term it this way, and you kind of see on the screen, they're flatlined spiritually. There's no beat, there's no pulse, there's no life. You are dead Spiritually dead, how? The text tells us you were dead in the trespasses and sins. It's interesting. It uses two words. They are, they are both words that, that mean sin, but, but they kind of have unique angles and are used in unique statements. And So it's like this. He says you're dead in the fact that you have sins upon sins. By the way, not just a few oopsies. It's just like piled high. It's the idea of Romans 3. No one is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's the idea from God's perspective as the great physician of Habakkuk 1.13, referring to the Lord that your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And therefore you are dead because of your sins and your sins piled high. 
but I'm not that bad of a sinner. Well, maybe in your eyes or maybe in my eyes we aren't. But the fact of the matter is this isn't talking about how you and I see it. This is talking about how a holy creator God sees it. This, the, the great physician, our creator, looks at it and says, uh, flatlined. But it's not my fault, it's Adam and Eve's fault. Well, verse 2 answers that. It answers that pushback and it says, uh, we all walk in and we all follow in. We're all in this. We're all in this condition together. That's a stated reality from God's word. By the way, it's not talking that we're around sin and sin or we're nearby sin and sin or we're next to it. It's not referencing that we've been forced into this condition and this place of sin upon sin. It's not even saying that we don't want to be there. It's actually saying that we are there and we're walking in it and living in it. We own it. Every one of us. Every one of us own the reality that we before a holy, righteous, perfect creator God are in a condition of sin upon sin and it just breaks my heart to say that because I'm there too. But Doug, not me. Well, um, but that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. We've all lived in, we're carrying out by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Now, can we all agree, like it or not, that God's word here in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 is telling that we have a radical problem. Agreed? Like it or not? Agreed. And honestly, I don't really like it. So how does one process what to do with this radical problem information. Well, one option is somehow deny it. Uh, reject it, argue it, ignore it, blow it off, diminish it, and one can do that. But instead, I would suggest that you consider hearing what God's Word has to say. Because the radical bad news is followed with some radical good news. If this is true, if it is the reality that all of us on our own are in a condition of flatlined spiritually before God and dead, we're in a peck of trouble. Now, I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box. But a couple things I do know. One, flatlined individuals cannot unflatline themselves. Flatlined individuals cannot. I used to be involved with making medical devices, and I promise you, flatlined individuals do not grab the defibrillator and boom themselves. It's just, it's, it's never happened. Oh, by the way, although Easter one did raise from the, but, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Flatlined individuals are not able to unflatline themselves. Second observation is this. When you have a real radical problem, you need a real radical solution to resolve the problem, right? 
I mean, if you have a small wee little problem, that's my Scottish there, if you have a small wee little problem, then you only really need a small wee little solution. But if you have a great big ginormous problem, you look at it and you go, oh my word, I need a great big ginormous solution. True? Okay, here's the cool thing. Look at verse 4 and you tell me what are the first two words of verse 4. But God. Hey, let me do this. Let me pick up verse 1, read. Let's see the solution, the radical solution that's available in, uh, in verses uh, 4 through 7. Let me start from the beginning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, superhero time, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God's radical solution. Listen, verse 4, but God, I think we can classify God as a superhero, right? I mean, right now we've got like Batman versus Superman. Just how odd is that, by the way? Um, And yet, then we have God, I think God trumps the superheroism of all of those. There is no bigger superhero than God. And here we have, in our radical problem, the true superhero shows up, the great physician. By the way, two noted traits about our God. Number one, he is rich in mercy. He's rich in, he's not small in, he's not middle class in. He's not fairly rich in, but it's this idea of he is piles and piles, stacks and stacks, tycoon rich in this. Uh, By the way, rich in what? Rich in mercy, rich in leniency and clemency and compassion and mercy, rich in grace. By the way, is that your view of God? A God that is rich in mercy when we come to a text like this? Or is your view of God that he's just like that big guy in the sky that's just standing there with a frown on his face and he's just sick and tired of it all and of you and he's just waiting for you to step in the wrong direction or even think about it so that he can come after you and chew you up? Here it says he is rich In mercy. Also, he is great in love. 
He's great in it. It's not so-so in it, not bits of it, not, not, not impressive amounts of, but it's this idea of innumerableness. It's this idea of substantially abundant in. He has countless piles and piles and piles of love. Now, guys, you're maybe sitting here going, oh, are we going to a Hallmark movie right now? No, 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 listen, get over it. We're talking about dead people, and dead people need rich and mercy great in love. And he is that. Love. It's not a Facebook-like. It's not friendliness. It's not a Hallmark movie. It's real deal affectionate, expressive, deeply felt, emotional, I love you kind of a love. Love is first and foremost a commitment over a feeling. And here we have a God who in it, although you, we are dead spiritually, he is the one who is rich in mercy, great in love. And by the way, notice with this, the love, even when we were spiritually dead, he loved. But it's really important because it's not like this. It's not like, oh, you know, I I, got to go get myself all together before God will love me. It doesn't say that. It's telling us the exact opposite of that. Listen, in our sins upon sins, God loves. But the fact of the matter is, although God loves and is rich in mercy, my condition, our condition, is a flatlined spiritual state of death, spiritually. And I say, who is the one who needs mega amounts of divine life-giving mercy and love? The answer to that is verse one through three people. Those are the ones who need it. Those are the ones who are in in, in grand need of the great physician who has mercy and love to show up. So how does the Lord's rich mercy and great love show itself? What does God's radical solution actually do? I'm glad you asked. Because the text notes three things. How many? Listen to these out of the text. Number one, verse five. He says, God's radical solution can make spiritually dead people spiritually alive. Made alive. That's awesome. Because where there is no life, life is given. Where one was spiritually flatlined, pachink, alive. Oh, by the way, Full spiritual life, and notice, it's alive with the Lord. Not just alive. Not just alive and wandering, but alive and with the Lord. Oh, secondly, look at verse 6. God's radical solution raises up spiritually dead people. That's a big deal, because it's not alive and in a coma on a gurney. It's not they're alive, but they're still flat out. No, no, it's alive and they are raised up, no longer bedridden, not partially put together, not in the process of being raised up or made alive. It's like this, made alive, 
raised up. And by the way, raised up with what? Raised up with the Lord. I mean, I want to be raised up with the Lord. If, if I want to be anywhere, the NCAA finals, that would be awesome. But I got to tell you, alive and raised up with the Lord would be even better for eternity. A third here, it tells us, verse six, God's radical solution seats spiritually dead people. Who cares about seats? Oh, we do. In fact, if you were going to the NCAA finals, when you came and you talked with me, and, and I'd, maybe the first question would be, do you have an extra ticket? Maybe the second or third question might be, where are you sitting? True? Because if it's like you're way in the nosebleed section, honestly, I want to watch on TV. I just, I want to watch on TV. If you're way up in the nosebleed behind a pillar, have a great time. But I'm going to be watching on TV. But look at this one. Where are they seated? With the Lord and where? In heaven. Boom! Think about this. Spiritually dead people who are walking and following in everything that is not the Lord can be made alive, raised up, and seated with him. That, friends, is radical. Why would the Lord do this? Why would the Lord just not let us poor dead saps just stay where we're at? Answer, look at verse 7. To show his immeasurable grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hey, friends, I, I, I need to let us know this. Uh, the Lord does not need me and the Lord does not need you. I'm sorry. But yet in the redemptive reality of the story that the Lord has put together, He wants to show His great mercy and His great love by raising undeserving dead spiritual people. And it gives him great, great glory. Only God can do this. I mean, only a great, big, marvelous God can do this. Doug, how does that happen? How does verses one through three spiritually dead individuals go from a flatlined reality to a, a spiritually alive reality? How does that happen? I mean, the fact of the matter is, something happens to get a flatlined person beating again, right? I mean, dead people can't make themselves undead. Something happens to bring life into a dead person. It just only makes sense and we can see it on the monitor. Something takes place to move it from flatline to life. And Ephesians 2 tells us God's solution, the transaction, and it's a radical means. It's a radical means. Let me read verses eight through 10. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not of your own doing. That makes sense, because dead people can't make themselves undead. It is the gift of God. For we are, with, when raised, when made alive, when seated, for we are his workmanship. Oh, yeah. When you go from flatline to alive, I didn't do it, but he did. It's his workmanship. He's the one who made it happen. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works are the following reality of life, not the earning thing for life. And God has prepared in beforehand that we should walk in him. So what is the radical in the means of this? Well, first it's radical because of what it is not. It is radical because of what it is not. And what it is not is this. You cannot earn it. You can't. I mean, friends, just think about it. It doesn't make sense. If you think you can earn your salvation, if you think that you can make piles and piles and piles of good works to cover your sin upon sins, you're, you're in deep trouble. Because there is no pile of good works big enough to cover the pile of sins upon sins. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You cannot unproblem this problem on your own. But it is radical because of what it is. It is radical because it is grace. Let's think about this. The text says it is by grace through faith. The text says by grace you have been saved. It's a gift of God. Let's break that out. It's, It's a gift, not a wage. Salvation is a gift, not a wage. But here's the deal. Our sin condition, we've earned it. But salvation cannot be earned. It's a gift and it's from God. It's not from you and I. It's a grace gift from God. We absolutely do not deserve it. We've earned our sin condition, but we cannot earn, we do not deserve God's grace gift. That's why it's a grace gift. And by the way, it's a grace gift from God available through faith. How do you know if someone owns something? How do you know if someone owns something? Not that they like it, but that they own it. Well, you would ask them for a receipt, or you would ask them for show me the title of your ownership. That's what faith is about. Hebrews 11 says faith is founded on an assured hope, a confident conviction of of things not seen. And faith is this idea of, friends, let me say this. This is my receipt. This is the title deed. I... I did not earn my way to heaven. In fact, the thing that I had to learn in my life was that I can't. 
But what I came to understand is exactly what we're talking about in this passage that I would ask that you and I own in this. Is the fact of the matter is, the reality, the bad news of the matter is, is that I am dead spiritually and in deep, eternal, and present trouble because of sins upon sins, spiritually dead, flatlined. But God. But learning that there is a God who came, who, who the second person of the Trinity, who came in the flesh, died on the cross, rose from the dead... Not because he needed to, but because we needed it. We are the ones who need it. And out of that, my receipt comes out of Romans 10.10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. My title deed for who I am in Christ isn't because of anything of who I am. It's all because of 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's the one who did the work because I can't and you can't either. The title deed is John 1.12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It's this, flatlined, Lord, I need a Savior, and you have done that for me. And I want to go from death and separation from you, Romans 6.23, to life in you. Pachink. Life. First John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God has given eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not wonder, not think, but know. Friends, the deed for how I can stand here before you today and say that Jesus Christ has redeemed me from spiritual death is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. That's my story. Is that yours? Do you have a purchased reality receipt? Has there been a time where by grace through faith that you've placed your trust in the great physician, realize that you're flatlined before a holy God and in deep trouble because of it. But there is one who came that we celebrated Easter, who died and rose again, making a gift available. By the way, when is the gift your gift? The gift is your gift when you take it. And the Lord has laid it right out. 
but he's not going to shove it on you. He's not going to cram it down your throat. He's not going to force it upon it because none of those are gifts. A grace gift awaits all who would call upon the Lord. Do you have such a story? By the way, something really important. Next slide. That is not life. Any doctor or physician in this room who sees this, any normal person who's watched any TV medical show, gets that this is not life. A doctor would not call this life. A doctor and a nurse would go, wait, 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 wait. Oh! This is Mark chapter four, soils two and three. Who have a moment where they may have like a, ah, like a step out, like it seems like life's coming and yet there's no life after. This is not life. Next slide. This is. This is having gone from death to life. Life that comes in and life that changes. I mean, think about it. If you were truly dead, flat out physically, on the table in a hospital, putching, you're brought to life, and you're like, that's cool. Thanks a lot, him 22. That would be radical. And you would know it because you were dead and now you are alive. And life changes because of it. Why? Because you're no longer dead on the spiritual gurney. You're alive in Christ. Life looks different, changes differently, pursues after differently. There are beats of life that show the reality of the radical solution in you. Is this your story? If it is, I want to finish by saying, our time of remembering right now should spur within you a joy. A remembering that I was flatlined before my creator God. But when I came to learn about what Jesus Christ had done in the good news of the gospel, and I came to that place where I received Christ as my savior, life came in and oh my, true? There should be welling within us every year we come back and if you will celebrate the anniversary of new life. It's a party and a big one. And by the way, that should be welling within you right now because get ready to party. No funeral in here. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're at that place of, I'm not sure. Maybe you're at the place of, 
I've, I've actually never heard this. I've never heard that the Bible says it that clearly, that plainly. I just thought that all dogs go to heaven. I wish that was the case, but the Bible does not say that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and yet I will reply, I never knew you. I just want to say here on this Easter day, a rich in mercy, great in love, divine physician doesn't want to move you into a reminiscing nice thought. He wants to radically apply the gift of salvation through his rich in mercy, great in love, work of the cross, resurrected from the dead, alive, raised, and seated. I want to keep this very vertical right at this moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, this has nothing to do with the person on your right or the left. It has nothing to do in this room. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to try and embarrass anyone, but I am going to say this. It's time for you to have a conversation with the Lord right now. All of us. Because it's not about what I think. It's not about what the person who's sitting by you thinks. It's about this thing. And if you're at a place where you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, like the thief on the cross, it's time to have a conversation with him right now. And I'm going to ask three things from you, if that's you. I'm going to ask that right now you would have a conversation with him in walking this through. Lord, that was me. This is what you've done. This is what you've provided. Oh, Lord. I need you. I want you as my Savior. I want life in you. And you need to have that conversation. If you have that conversation, have some kind of decision like that, I just want for you to know at the very end of the service, we're going to have our pastors and elders and wives up here. And I'm going to ask that if there's a decision like that, that at the end that you would come up and just let one of them know. One, because a person who goes from death to life has to let people know. And then third, we are about to enter into a time of big praise of what the Lord has done. And I am going to ask that in that time, you party like you've never partied before. Because, think about it, if you've already moved from death to life, you know why you should be partying big. And if today, if you have a conversation with the Lord and you've moved from death to life, oh my, you have a reason to party big. And so Lord, we take this time and I would just pray in this room that you would be here. People would be having conversations with you right now that is necessary and proper. And so I will go quiet for a moment here.
and you were dead. But God, rich in mercy, great in love, (laughs) made alive, raised up, seated with, Oh Lord, I pray within this room right now that those who have made that decision and that experienced that life change prior to coming into this room this morning, that they would be rejoicing in the deepest crevices of their soul. For they have been made alive. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who has made a decision between you and them. God, that life shows, I pray, that this room would be filled with a radical new life that only you can provide that has legs to it. And it is in who you are and what you have done that we rejoice together in Christ's name.